This is Tax Chats. Hello, I'm Scott Dyring. And I am Jeff Hoops. And we're here to chat about taxes. Hello again, and welcome to another edition of Tax Chats. I'm Scott Dyring, professor of accounting at Duke University, and I am joined, as always, by the Tax Museum curator and professor extraordinaire at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, Jeff Hoops. Hello, Jeff. Hello, Scott. How are you doing today? So good. How are you? I'm doing good, and I think we have something fun to talk about. Why don't you tell us what we're going to talk about and set the stage before we introduce our guest? Yeah, so this is a little bit a little bit more in the weeds than sometimes we get, but it's a pretty fascinating thing. We're going to be talking about the tax consequences of student loan forgiveness. So, you know, we're talking about this in a very specific time period when just a few months ago, President Biden announced a student loan forgiveness program where some of the debts of people, students who took out loans to fund their educations are going to likely be forgiven. This is a really big deal because the price tags in the hundreds of billions of dollars, depending upon kind of what you assume about who's going to get forgiven. Hey, Jeff, Details hang on, of the, hang on, hang on. Yep. to get our, uh, do you have student loans? Did you? I do not have any student loans now. I did not personally have any student loans. My family did have student loans. Okay. I did have student loans. I have paid them all off just to, just from, for the record. From when you went to Snow College or when you went to BYU uh, no. when you went to Duke? Um, I went to a community college and then I went to a four-year college and I took out some loans for my bachelor's degree and then quite a few for my uh, PhD. But yeah. Now you're all paid off. All paid off. Yep. You were very foolish. You should have waited because had you waited... You could have got it forgiven. Yeah. So there's, yeah, it's, it's a legitimate, relevant point. So we're all point. paid up. So, so the way this is going to work is this, this very specific kind of debt. And again, we don't need to get into the details is going to be forgiven. So it could be up to 10,000 or $20,000. So let's say you took out $10,000 student loan, you get it forgiven. The tax portion of this is basically uh, absent anything else. All, all debt relief is actually taxable. But the federal government has made an exception in this case where this $10,000 of debt relief will not be taxable in this case. Can, can I just point out real quickly, there is sort of a very basic logic to the idea that forgiven debt is um, income. And that is from an accounting point of view, when your equity changes, your net worth changes, that's income. That's the definition of income. And if your loan is forgiven, that's the definition of income. I mean, this isn't crazy at all, right? If you think about it, what if what if they didn't have this law that it would be taxable? Then as an employer, I would just like, I wouldn't pay my employees ever. I'd just give them loans. And then at the end of the year, I'd say, oh, you're all forgiven. So you can have all that income. So in any event, what, what we're talking about here though, is this, so the federal government, it's not taxable. At the state government, it's kind of up to the state to what to do. So some states have decided they want to make this not taxable. And here in North Carolina, we are in the process of this decision. And here to talk with us about this is this, the leader of the North Carolina Senate, Phil Berger. Uh, Senator Berger, we're, welcome on the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you all. Um, I, uh, j just to introduce myself, uh, again, my name is Phil Berger. I serve in the North Carolina Senate and uh, currently occupy the position of President Pro Tem of the Senate. And <clears throat> what that basically means is that my colleagues have selected me as the Senate leader uh, comes with certain responsibilities uh, and with uh, certain uh, privileges, uh, one of which is to join y'all today. So I uh, appreciate the opportunity to speak with. You. 
sure they were thinking of that when they elected you. They, one of the Absolutely. best privileges to be on. It's in the rules. It's in the yeah, rule. There it is. So first question for you. So how does North Carolina law, law currently treat just debt forgiveness in general? So student loan debt or credit card debt or whatever kind of debt. And then is there, is it any, is student loan different at all in North Carolina? Uh, student loan debt would be treated as uh, any other debt uh, for uh, purposes of uh, taxability of forgiveness. So credit card debt, uh, if part of uh, that debt is forgiven, if, uh, that forgiven part would be taxable uh, for income tax purposes. Um, loans taken out for purchasing a car, if uh, part of that's forgiven, taxable for uh, state income tax purposes, mortgage debt, same thing. Uh, and so uh, education debt is uh, is treated the same way under North Carolina law. So that's the current law. And usually when we talk about people with like the current law, we just got to kind of take the laws given. But you are in an amazing position where you have some influence over the law. Do you think that that's the way it should be, that we should just treat all debt the same as far as the, the taxability of forgiveness of that debt? I do. Uh, I think it's, uh, it's something that um, there, there's, there, there's a real, in my mind, uh, a real unfairness uh, in uh, treating uh, forgiven educational debt different than you would treat um, uh, mortgage debt or uh, consumer debt of, uh, of any other sort. Uh, so uh, it's, uh, it's something that uh, I, I don't uh, favor changing North Carolina law to uh, change the taxability of uh, the debt forgiveness if it turns out that uh, the challenges to the Biden um, plan uh, turn out to be unsuccessful because it's it's no sure thing that that's actually going to take place because there are multiple lawsuits uh, currently pending uh, challenging whether or not the president actually has the authority to do what he has announced. I think we, I think we definitely want to talk about that, but why, I mean, what is it that makes it unfair and why do you think, so I, I kind of agree it is unfair to treat one kind of debt differently than another, but why do you think other states are actually like going along with the federal government and giving this this non-taxable status to student loan debt. Whereas if you, you know, do something completely that you was not your choice, you get cancer and you're in the hospital for a long time and you got debt and somehow that gets forgiven, that's still taxable. Yeah. So, um, you know, a number of states uh, have uh, in their statutes uh, kind of this automatic uh, uh, situation where when the federal government makes a change to uh, how uh, certain things are taxed or not taxed, that uh, state law automatically uh, tracks uh, the federal law. So the, uh, what is it, 30, 35, 37 states uh, that are uh, cited as uh, having uh, decided to go along with uh, forgive, forgiven educational debt not being taxable, uh, most of those states, if not all of those states, uh, it has, it's been because uh, there's an automatic provision in their statutes that they track federal law. So I, I don't know that a decision's been made uh, by those uh, separate legislatures. I think it's just uh, something that has happened. Uh, and so North Carolina does not automatically track changes uh, uh, that, that occur in federal uh, tax law. And so we have to go in every year and look at what changes have, uh, have, have been um, uh, promulgated uh, at the federal level and make a decision as to whether or not we're going to, uh, to comply with those for state tax purposes. I, um, so that's really interesting because at some level, 
it's just like almost a historical accident, right? For some states, if they chose to do this kind of conforming thing earlier, then that is the way it's going to turn out now. North Carolina is not in that position. And you mentioned something earlier about fairness. Fairness is a popular topic at my house. I have six kids, so you can imagine that we uh, talk about fairness often. Four-letter word, fair, turns out. Yeah. I wonder if you would um, just briefly talk about your um, opinion on on why this is or is not a fair, forgiving student loan might not be fair. Sure. Uh, so let, let's talk about how uh, this debt is like other debt. And so uh, someone decides they're going to go to college. Uh, they uh, uh, make a decision that to pay for uh, some aspect of their college education, they're going to take out a loan. When they take that loan out, they're told uh, this is something that uh, th- these are the terms of the loan. One of those terms is that uh, there will come a day when you are to pay it back. And so uh, you enter into and engage in a voluntary transaction uh, with someone. Uh, in this case, uh, it's, uh, it's with uh, someone that's uh, representing the federal government. But uh, that's no different uh, in many respects to someone who decides they want to buy a house. Uh, they go to the bank, they fill out an application, uh, their application gets approved, uh, and uh, they, they are uh, provided the money uh, under certain circumstances. And it's understood that uh, it, there will come a time when you're going to have to pay this loan back. Same thing when, uh, when someone uh, is, uh, is taking out any other kind of a loan. They're going to start a business. And uh, they uh, go to, uh, in this case, maybe there's uh, a bank that is doing an SBA loan, uh, which again is, some, is a federal debt. Uh, and uh, that, that person uh, is, be, is told, you take this loan out, at some point you're gonna have to pay it back and these are the circumstances. Uh, that, that is exactly the same. And why, why would it be fair, appropriate, good policy uh, to uh, forgive uh, the taxability of one of those without doing it for all of them. Uh, I, I, I don't, um, I, I have yet to hear uh, the cogent uh, argument uh, that uh, would be consistent from, a, uh, from an analysis standpoint uh, uh, for, for the forgiveness of this debt. I mean, and, and you've also got a situation where a lot of folks have, uh, y'all mentioned the fact that, uh, uh, that, that I think at least one of you had student debt and you paid it back. There are a number of folks that had student debt, paid it off early uh, in order to avoid paying uh, a lot of the interest charges uh, the, or their parents uh, borrowed the money and paid, them, paid the loans back. Uh, or uh, some folks may have decided not to go to college uh, simply because they didn't want to incur debt. Uh, they're... Uh, the, the fact that you would uh, forgive the debt, which I think was wrong to begin, is wrong to begin with, uh, but to then forgive the taxability of that debt uh, really is a double wrong, in my opinion, and uh, completely unfair to a lot of folks. Uh, and then you can also talk about uh, how many of the folks that are having their debt forgiven uh, and uh, folks want to make it non-taxable. Uh, are actually making six-figure incomes, can afford to pay the, uh, the debt back. And the folks that ultimately are going to be covering that debt uh, are um, you know, folks that work in a factory, folks that uh, wait tables uh, in, in a restaurant, folks that uh, 
have a small business and they're trying to figure out how to make ends meet, including paying their taxes. Um, I, I just, uh, it, it's terrible policy. Uh, it's uh, something that reeks of uh, uh, some sort of uh, uh, political payback. Uh, and I just think it's wrong. Yeah, I think those last two points you made are super important. It's not, I mean, first of all, this debt actually is a little bit different than all the other debts is you're taking out debt for something that like mechanically will on average, at least increase your income. So unlike a car where all you get is a car, you get an education, which on average produces higher income. So you get people who are higher income on average that have student loans. And most of this benefit is going to relatively upper income people. I mean, this is, this is you know, no matter what policy groups looked at this student loan forgiveness has been shown to be pretty regressive, meaning it benefits rich people more than poor people. Um, I think that's a, that's an important point. Um, so we, you talked about that this might not actually happen. Um, so what, what are the challenges that the student loan forgiveness happen is facing that might not actually even happen? Well, first of all, uh, the, um, uh, the, the Congress, uh, the, the federal government uh, in uh, the ordinary course of uh, making tax law uh, has not actually uh, accounted for uh, the forgiveness of uh, taxability of this debt. And so what you've got is you've got the executive branch uh, via executive order uh, attempting to, uh, to do something that uh, is not authorized by the statutes. Uh, in fact, uh, at an earlier time when this was all being debated in uh, the circles of democratic power, uh, Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, uh, no rank and file Democrat, uh, basically opined that the president did not have the authority to forgive the debt uh, at, to begin with. And so, uh, I mean, we'll see what happens when it gets in the courts, but uh, it's um uh, it, it should be concerning to everyone uh, when uh, the executive branch uh, uh, takes upon itself uh, or assumes uh, certain authority that uh, ought to belong and uh, under, our, under our system does belong uh, to another branch of government. And we say authority, I mean, it's, it's basically the authority to spend hundreds of billions of dollars. This is a lot of money that just with a stroke of a pen, the president can basically spend. And I do think at another point, I think um, we want to talk a little bit about, you already mentioned a little bit is when, you know, when all we've talked about is like forgiving this debt. What we, what we haven't explicitly said is when you forgive debt and when you don't tax that forgiveness, that means less revenue to the country. But also in this case, what we're talking about is the state of North Carolina. So in the end the decision to, to make this not taxable, I mean, we would, North Carolinians would jointly pay for that by having less in state tax revenue as kind of looking into this as the state of North Carolina looked into how much it would actually cost to provide that debt relief tax free. Uh, so I'm not aware of any uh, specific um, uh, numbers as far as that's concerned. You know, the interesting thing is if folks actually paid the debt back, um, I, I'm not sure, other than the interest on the debt um, uh, possibly being deductible, although under some of our reforms, uh, there, there may be some limits uh, there. But uh, I, I think uh, that this may actually act as something of a windfall to the state that uh, the state would not have received otherwise if uh, the debt was not forgiven to begin with. Because 
uh, somebody paying their debt off is not something that uh, we ordinarily would uh, uh, generate tax revenue from. Um, Senator Berger, can I uh, maybe shift gears just a little bit and ask you, so this this is the whole idea behind student loan forgiveness is somehow to try to make college more affordable. And North Carolina has a very good public uh, school system and a very good higher education system. University very of North good Carolina public system. universities. The private universities are kind of lacking, but the public <laughs> universities are excellent, I might yeah, say. Yeah, Duke's a little sketchy, but UNC over there, they're amazing. Um, has has there been serious conversations at the state level for things that the state can do to help make higher education more affordable to North Carolinians? Sure, uh, particularly in the context of uh, of our public uh, university system, we uh, we passed several years ago something called uh, NC Promise, and uh, NC Promise has uh, has a number of components. Uh, probably the best known component, uh, and even it is not very well known at all, uh, is uh, the fact that at three of our uh, public uh, universities, the uh, in-state tuition per semester is $500, which is a significant reduction uh, from other in-state universities and uh, from the, uh, the private universities. Uh, But uh, actually NC Promise uh, does even more than that because uh, what we uh, have uh, in the statute, in the statutes is that someone that enrolls, enrolls in one of our public universities uh, as a freshman um, is guaranteed uh, the same tuition for four uh, years, eight, eight semesters. Uh, we also have put a cap on the amount that student fees can go up. Uh, and in fact, uh, I think in our public university system, I don't think we've seen tuition increases um, uh, over the past uh, several years. Um, uh, I, I seem to remember seeing something that President Hans uh, announced uh, several weeks ago uh, about uh, how long it's been since uh, since we've we've had tuition increases. So uh, we're very concerned about that, uh, and uh, it, it is something that um, we, uh, our members uh, believe very strongly that uh, the value of uh, higher education is uh, is certainly important, uh, but uh, it. You don't get the benefit of higher education if you can't afford to uh, to go. So uh, we're cognizant of that. We also have kind of a unique situation in our state constitution that uh, uh, a lot of folks don't uh, fully appreciate. And uh, it, it is, to my knowledge, unique uh, amongst constitutions in, in the 50 states. And it says that uh, the state of North Carolina is to uh, offer the benefits uh, of, uh, of a college education to its citizen citizens, and these are the words, as free as practicable. And uh, so that uh, is something that uh, the General Assembly feels uh, is, uh, is, is worthy of uh, us uh, putting some emphasis on. And, and I think as a result, uh, we have uh, by uh, almost universal acclaim uh, the finest public university system in the nation. Yeah, it's 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 very good. It's so good that I came I came all the way from Utah to go to the University of North Carolina, and uh, and then of course I I became a very terrible traitor and took a job at Duke. So um, became a devil, a blue devil. I'm a, some people sometimes call me Benedict Arnold, but um, in any case, um, so uh, can, let me ask one other maybe more general question while we have you with us. Um, North Carolina has fairly aggressively c- 
cut taxes in general over the past, I don't know, maybe eight or 10 years, maybe not even that long, maybe five years, but it's been, it seems like every time I hear something in the news, the tax rate is going down, whether it's the personal tax rate or the corporate tax rate. Talk to us about the process of working on tax reform and the benefits that you are seeing or the costs that you are seeing from uh, those significant changes in taxes over the last several years. Yeah. So um, I've been in legislature since uh, I was first elected in 2000. So from 2000 until 2010, I was in the minority party as far as the legislature was concerned. And and I saw um, what, uh, what, what appeared to me to be, uh, just some real wrong-headed thinking about uh, tax policy. And, and it basically was this, uh, that when times were good, uh, money, money coming into the state's treasury, uh, in, in general, the state's budget would go up uh, commensurate with the amount of extra money that was collected. Uh, and when times were bad, uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the re- response that the legislature had was, uh, some combination of not increasing spending as much and raising taxes so that at least on the books, uh, you would uh, have uh, the ability to, uh, to project uh, revenue because every time you score either a tax increase or a tax uh, reduction, it's scored on a static model. So, and we all know that the economy is anything but static as far as uh, those, those kinds of things. So uh, when, uh, when Republicans uh, were uh, put in a position of uh, having majorities in the, uh, the House and the Senate, uh, it, beginning in January of 2011, one of the things that we uh, resolved was uh, to do things differently. And so one of those was to look at what the relative tax rates were in North Carolina compared to uh, our neighboring states and compared to the nation as a whole. Uh, and one of the things that we found, uh, of course, I had known this all along because it's <laughs> it's not that we weren't paying attention. But one of the things that uh, that that was uh, was talked about a lot was that um, North Carolina's tax climate uh, for business development was one of the worst in the country. And uh, there's a nonpartisan group that tends to lean right, but it's a not it, it's it's not a Republican or a Democratic group. Uh, called the Tax Foundation, and they rate the states on business tax climate. North Carolina was ranked, uh, I believe it was 44th or 45th in the nation as far as business tax climate. And so we looked at that, and we looked at uh, a number of other states, and uh, kind of the polar star uh, was to eliminate the personal income tax, the the idea being that uh, income taxes, uh, all taxes really, uh, have a, a negative impact on economic growth. Uh, and what's the old thing from, uh, from the court case, the power to tax is the power to destroy. <clears throat> and so, um, so the, the idea was that we wanted to uh, modify North Carolina's tax structure to make it uh, more conducive to the private sector. And so um, what, what that meant was that uh, we, we were going to take a number of steps but primarily reduce the overall income tax rate. January of 2011, if you were paying uh, personal income taxes in North Carolina at the margin, and we had a progressive tax structure at that time, uh, your tax rate was right at 8%. It was just a little bit below 8% with, uh, with what they called a temporary surcharge. 
same with um, the corporate income tax. If you were a C corporation, you were paying uh, corporate income taxes. uh, Again, at the the margin, you were paying right at 8%. Today in North Carolina, we have uh, a corporate rate that's 2.5%. So it's gone from 8 to 2.5%. We've also changed how it's calculated, uh, uh, the single sales factor and several other more technical things. Um, and uh, we have on the books um, uh, a further step down of the corporate rate uh, so that over the next several years, it will step down to uh, total elimination of the corporate income tax in North Carolina. On the individual side, uh, the, uh, the current tax rate, I believe, is like 4.99 uh, from, from around eight. And we have on the books a step down for that to get it down below four. Uh, and quite frankly, we have the revenue and the revenue projections uh, where we can actually go even further. And we'll, we'll see whether or not we uh, we are able to do that. Uh, I have a quick question about that, actually. Sure. So why four point? So I'm going to I'm an accountant. I like numbers. Why four point nine nine instead of five? Is this I mean, I love going to Walmart. Is this like it was five percent, but it's on sale now four ninety nine. So why uh, why that? Same reason when you buy gasoline, the uh, price is four dollars point nine. (laughs) (laughs) It's, uh, I mean, it's um, you got to land somewhere. You got to land somewhere, and four nine nine sounds a whole lot better than five. I have a theory. I want to. I want to test my theory. I don't. You you talked about the tax foundation. The tax foundation will rank states on all sorts of different things, including their tax rate. If another state has a 5% tax rate and we have 499, just in rank order, we're going to win basically at no revenue cost. Anybody ever think of like these rankings as far in uh, that's why we got a 4.99? Yeah, you'll have to talk to the tax foundation as to how they do their ranking, but it's it's not based on a single factor. So it's all sorts of different factors, but it would help to just win along that one little parameter. Right. But but so we've done that. We, uh, we also eliminated the estate tax uh, in North Carolina. Um, Obviously, you've got to be concerned about what those tax changes do to your revenue picture, because uh, even even if you want to cut taxes, you still have certain things that the state is expected to do. And uh, we uh, we were very careful to uh, uh, to to make sure that uh, the revenue that would be coming in uh, was sufficient to uh, cover the costs of running state government that, uh, that, that we were um, looking at. Um, the, um, uh, the, the key, in my opinion, to our success uh, in um, that uh, plan has been to uh, control the growth of state spending. Uh, so we haven't really reduced overall state spending, but we've seen uh, the increases year over year uh, more based on population growth, uh, inflation, those kinds of things. Uh, the other thing that we did uh, because we needed to make sure that the overall revenue picture uh, would uh, uh, maintain a balanced budget uh, is we changed our sales tax uh, in, uh, in significant ways, uh, one of which uh, was that we broadened the base uh, for the sales tax uh, in, some, in some ways, probably the most um, um, Uh, significant uh, was that we began taxing uh, the services uh, that uh, were being performed uh, in in situations where we were already taxing 
uh, the uh, the products that were uh, being uh, being utilized. So, for instance, uh, car mechanics, um, uh, we would uh, we already taxed the parts that were being put on the car. So, if you uh, went in and had to have your alternator uh, changed out, we pay, we uh, already had a sales tax on the part that was being purchased. Uh, but the labor was not being taxed. So we broadened the base uh, to, uh, to tax that. And so the combination of uh, the reductions as far as income tax, the modifications uh, as far as the sales tax base <clears throat> has, uh, uh, has been very successful for the state. Um, we, um, in January of 2011, we had the highest income uh, taxes uh, in the Southeast, um, higher than Virginia, higher than Georgia, higher than South Carolina, not higher than Tennessee because they didn't have an uh, income tax or Florida. Um, but, uh, but we are now lower than uh, any of those. Uh, I believe that, uh, that we as a state are in competition with other states. Uh, and so when our private sector economy uh, has costs that are lower uh, uh, for other for actors in the private sector, it's going to uh, create uh, growth, and we've seen uh, really significant growth in North Carolina as far as our economy is concerned. That growth has resulted in our revenue, instead of the projections on a static model of reducing the income tax, uh, lowering revenue. We've actually seen revenue increase because we've had uh, uh, a, a larger economy from which to uh, uh, extract a, uh, a lower percentage as far as the taxes are concerned. Well, Senator Berger, we are, we are quickly running out of time and we know that you're a busy person, so we probably better wrap it up quickly. Jeff, do you have any uh, additional questions? I do for once, I have one single additional, very, very short, easy question. Um, so you mentioned we're in competition with other states. Who do you think is our biggest competitor? Oh, gosh. Um, is it some neighboring geographic state or is it like California or Texas or who uh, in, this, in this competition that might include taxes? Who are we trying to beat? So, so I think we've already beat the, um, the, the ones that are closest to us. Not I even mean, a competition. We just already smashed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, uh, the state that's closest to us in terms of population, in terms of economy, uh, in terms of what we've seen in the past, uh, as far as uh, growth announcements of uh, businesses moving or expanding, uh, has been either South Carolina or Georgia. And uh, I, I think um, it's, it's fairly easy to look today at who's winning uh, that competition. Not only are our tax rates lower than either Georgia or South Carolina, uh, what you're seeing is that uh, as opposed to 10 years ago where uh, both Georgia and South Carolina were getting all the big announcements, you're starting to see uh, North Carolina not just get a share of those, but uh, if, if we're in competition with them and oftentimes off on economic development projects, it's between you know, us and another state, uh, we we've have uh, been able to come out on top more times than not. Yeah, it's really interesting. There's a, a bunch of new companies coming. We hear about them quite frequently. Um, I think Apple's building a campus here. I think some other big tech companies are building in Research Triangle Park, and, and there's a lot of manufacturing coming in. So it's pretty amazing the, the growth that's happening in North Carolina. 
Um, well, Senator Berger, thank you so much for joining us. It's been really interesting to hear your uh, take on student loan forgiveness and then other tax issues that are facing North Carolina. So thank you. Sure. Thank you. All right. Well, this has been another edition of Tax Chats. I'm Scott Dyring, professor of accounting at Duke University, and I have been joined, as always, by Jeff Hoops, professor of accounting at the University of North Carolina. And our guest today has been Senator Phil Berger, president pro tem of the North Carolina State Senate. Thank you for joining us. We hope you'll tune in next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.